0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to Coming In. My name is Claire Gurley, and if this is your first time joining us, Coming In is a podcast about gender, sex, and sexuality. We are coming from a place of curiosity rather than judgment. We are seeking to have conversations that might be uncomfortable or difficult, um, and we're seeking to not shy away from that. I am feeling a lot of stuff because this is the final episode in the first initial 6 that I'm putting out. I am hoping to continue this project. I want to see how y'all feel about it. You can follow us at coming in project on Instagram. We are doing Something really cool, which is an art show, exhibiting all of the art created over these um, six episodes. Each podcast guest and I have collaborated on a piece of art, um, and we are going to be showing that um, the day that this comes out tonight. Hello today and um, tomorrow, Saturday at um, the Watkins Art Gallery at the Packing Plant. Um, check out the Instagram for all of the details. Again, that Instagram is coming in project. Um, I am feeling a lot of things also because today we're having a conversation about something that's a little heavy. Um, we're going to be talking about, um, consent and rape culture. This can be a heavy topic. I do get into this a little bit at the beginning of the episode, but of course, if you need to take space, if you need to pause, if you need to walk away, feel free to do so. Um, we are coming at this with as much empathy as possible and um, trying to be sensitive and aware. So this is not intended to trigger anyone, but of course everyone has different triggers and um, different things that come up. So take care of yourself, take care of your mental health. Um, I'm joined today by a dear friend of mine who means the world to me, um, Hannah Einhorn. They're, They're an incredible person and I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Um, as always, I learned so much. I think you're going to learn a lot too. And, um, I felt really seen in this conversation. Um, and I hope that you do too. So thank you for joining me over the past five episodes and now coming into the sixth, ah, coming in. Um, I feel really humbled and honored that you would choose to spend your time um, listening to my vocal fry. So um, (laughs) really thank you for being here. I hope to see you at our gallery opening tonight. If you're listening to this afterward, you can still look at the art on Instagram. It's really cool. Um, And please enjoy this conversation with Hannah Einhorn about consent and rape culture. All right. So today is going to be a really fun day because I'm here with one of my best friends. Hi, Hannah.
1: Hi, Claire.
0: I'm really happy that you're here.
1: I'm happy I'm here, too, and I'm even happier because Mr. is in a perfect loaf right now. <laughs> he sure
0: is. Um, for those of you not yet um, familiar with my feline friend, Mr. Um, is our podcast cat. Um, he's been present for almost every recording, and he is present for this one um, physically. I don't know where he's at mentally. Um But Hannah, wonderful to have you. Hannah and I uh, attended undergrad together and Hannah is about to finish. Well, I'll let you tell us about yourself. Give us a little breakdown.
1: Okay. Um, So I'm currently, I I currently just finished my first semester of my senior year at Belmont University. Um, So I'm a, a major in studio art and I'm getting a BFA. Um And like while I've been there, I also studied like psychology for a little bit. And I took a lot of humanities and I read a lot of books and I painted a lot of paintings. And now I'm here on Claire's couch.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm thrilled to have you. Uh You're a thinker. And as you said earlier today, this kind of stuff today, we're going to be talking about consent and rape culture. This is stuff that we talk about. On a pretty regular basis uh, in a casual setting so it only made sense to kind of bring it uh, here today as well. So let's jump into it. First question, how did you learn about sex?
1: So I think I heard the word sex a lot before I actually like was taught what it was. So like growing up um, religious, specifically Christian, I was taught what it was a little bit later. So when I was around, like, I think maybe 10, my parents sat me down or my mom did, and she handed me this book and she was like, I read up to this chapter and I want you to go ahead and read up to this chapter. And then we're going to talk about it as like mom and daughter and like a I don't know. I think somebody like at our church recommended it to her.
0: Do you remember the book?
1: Absolutely not. No. (laughs) Um, I don't even think I knew what the title was like when I was reading it. But so I read it and it was about, it was like this really, I honestly, so like it was definitely from a religious standpoint, but I feel like it was okay for me at the time. It kind of outlined sex as like, Like, it told you all of the, like, mechanical things that happen Mm -hmm. to produce a child, basically. It didn't go into any depth about, like, orgasms or, like, pleasure or anything. But it kind of said that, like, this is something people do when they're in love. And, you know, it it talked about that in, like, a religious context a lot. But I think, like, for where I was at the time, it was a pretty non-traumatizing I guess, entrance into that world. And yeah. like, I've definitely, well, obviously grown a lot from that moment, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty chill. Like I, I'm i very glad that I wasn't one of those people who like was never told and then like Googled it one day <laughs> because like, I've never heard a positive story from that happening. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I remember hearing like a lot of boys like laugh about it Um, and I would just, like, not join the conversation because I didn't know what was going on. But, like, I kind of, like, before I knew what sex was, I thought that babies, like, a woman got pregnant because God knew that it was time for her to love a baby.
0: Right, to fulfill her true uh, purpose as a woman and to birth a child. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And... I don't know. I think, I think as a child it that was definitely steeped in like a lot of the misogynistic, like women, women's roles are um, being mother, wife, homemaker and things like that. But I also think that like the idea that like, I thought that there was a higher power that knew when somebody was like ready and prepared and like their their heart was prepared to love another person like another baby but like that was that's something that like I think I do try to like still carry on to this day because yeah. you know maybe it's not the Christian God that I thought was determining these things but you know it's like a woman's ability or a pregnant person's ability to decide for themselves like when they're when they have enough love in their heart and are ready to bring forth a child. Yeah. So,
0: and as we talked about in our episode on abortion with Julie, it's really important that people have that choice. Um, Yeah. So I think that's beautiful. (laughs) Also, if it wasn't clear from my tone of voice, um, my comment about a woman's purpose being to <laughs> have a child was sarcastic. Um, don't send me angry DMs.
1: Um, <laughs> no, please do.
0: I have asked this question to everyone, but I actually haven't answered it for myself. Um, it's kind of good. fitting with what we're talking about today. I learned about sex um, for the first time when I was seven years old because I was um, molested by um, a boy a bit older than me. I definitely don't want to trigger anyone by giving details of any stories today. That's not what we're doing. Um, But that's part of my story and statistics show it's part of one in five women's stories. And oh gosh, I have the statistic for men here as well. Um, And they unfortunately do not break this down to include gender non-binary or trans people, um, and I apologize for that on my resources, Um, 24.8% of men experience some form of contact sexual violence in their lifetime, um, according to this statistic from the uh, National Sexual Violence Resource Center. So my story is definitely not unique, uh, but that was my introduction to what sex is and that really impacted my and continues honestly continues to impact my relationship with sex now. Um yeah so I I wish that I had just been given a book. That sounds really Yeah.
1: Honestly like you know there was a lot of messed up stuff with like what I was taught about sex from a religious standpoint, but like I'll take that any day over
0: (laughs) (laughs) having sex without love. Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely um however I mean y'all got to hear me talk to my mom as well that did open doors for for me and my mom to have a really open dialogue about sex and that you know everything everything that happens you can't change it and you move forward um so today we're going to be talking about consent and rape culture um again if you have experienced Sexual violence, I want you to know this is going to be a safe space for you. But if you feel triggered at any time, please turn it off. We love you. We're so glad you're here. But don't put yourself in a situation um, that makes you feel uncomfortable or panicked. Um, But we are going to attempt to be very sensitive to um, your experiences today and not bringing up any um, harsh, visceral retellings of anything. Um, I have picked up many a book and been like wow this is supposed to be for survivors and this is truly like a play-by-play of someone's rape and I don't want to yeah I I'm personally not in a place to read that
1: um, it's just you know there's a the difference between education and trauma porn so
0: so true yeah Say it again for the <laughs> for the folks in the back ooh, ooh. Uh, so in early conversations about sex and in your sex education experiences, whether that was at home talking with your mom or in high school or in college, um, was consent part of the conversation?
1: Um, so I don't think I was ever specifically taught what consent was. I was taught that sex is between two people who want to have sex. So, I think the the concept was never explicitly explained to me, I think, until I was like much older. Um, not that I never heard the word or like didn't have an understanding of the word, but um like my parent my my church talked a lot about abstinence. And my parents didn't really reinforce that. They didn't all like they didn't explicitly go against it either, but what they would tell my siblings and I was that um sex is between two people who want who want it. Mm-hmm. Um and it's usually a way to love another person or to love yourself in some way. Yeah. Um and my parents didn't really talk to me a lot about um rape or sexual assault because I don't think there's much of that in their personal histories. And luckily enough, my siblings and I were around very healthy adults when we were little, for the most part, um, at least in that sense. So um, we were not put in any type of danger. And I don't think we knew a lot of people that that happened to, Mm -hmm. at least that my parents knew of, you know? Yeah. So, like, it's not like any of our friends came to school one day talking about X, Y, and Z doing horrible things to them or anything like that. Yeah. Um,
0: and to be honest, I mean, it. it is something that for a long time went untalked about. Yeah. So, I mean, based on these statistics, especially, like, the percentage of women who... And I say women because that's the statistic I'm looking at. Um, the percentage of women who experienced sexual assault like between the ages of 11 and 17 mm-hmm. um are the highest it's one in three female victims um have experienced um completed or attempted rape between the ages of 11 and 17 so that's yeah of victims one in three is in that childhood range and i mean i know for me i felt so much shame that nobody knew that that happened to me for hmm Quite a long time, um, because it took a long time for me to accept that it happened to myself, yeah. to understand what happened, um, and to have yeah. have the courage to talk about it because it, it was so ingrained in me, not from my parents who knew and were incredibly like supportive of me, um, but, but deep down I thought that it was my fault, so mm-hmm. why would I... Talk about that. Um, So I think that it took a long time for us as a culture to even start having conversations about um, the fact that this is a very real and very present reality Mm -hmm. for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if like now, like if I were to now go to some people that I knew in my childhood that those things were probably happening behind the scenes to a certain extent. Um, I was very lucky to not have to I guess deal with any of that on a personal level until I was much much older um which I think if I were that young I mean I don't think anybody that young should even have to think about sexual assault or rape or protecting themselves from that and I I mean I'm sad that it has to happen at all for anybody but I am glad that for me, none of that really became an issue until I was older.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And when you, um, when you were hearing talks about consent, was it from a more no means no kind of um, mindset? Or was it coming from more of an affirmative consent kind of context? And we can talk about the differences between those because um, that's been kind of in the last... Eight-ish years, um, we've sort of started seeing a shift from no means no is the consent here. Like, if you said no, then you said no versus affirmative consent, which is unless you explicitly said yes. Right. Um, also, like <laughs> being drunk out of your mind, you are not right. in a place to give consent. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of newer to the conversation. Do you remember kind of hearing a shift there or when you heard one or the other, anything like that?
1: Um, so I do remember no means no being much more of a thing in, like, my childhood and into high school. Um, I was not explained the nuances of, like, what happens or, like, I guess like the nuances of consent when somebody is under the influences of something Mm -hmm. um until college um which i didn't drink until college so and i also like didn't really party or anything like that so i was never really in social situations where that applied to me but i do wish i'd learned about it sooner just because i i mean i just think it's better to be prepared in all situations anyway I honestly, I'm trying to think of any explicit conversations I had about consent specifically before college and I can't think of a single one. Um, So that's interesting. I don't know. I feel like the culture at like my high school was very much representative of the rest of America where it was like, if you're with a hot footballer Footballer. Oh, my God. Oh, I've been foot-baller. watching too much Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Like, okay. If you're with the hot athlete, you don't say no. But, yeah, like yeah. when I was reading this book of essays that I read called Yes Means Yes to prepare for this podcast, um, there was one essay called Reclaiming Touch. And the author talks about this thing called a consent map. Hmm. And it's this concept that, like, if somebody consents to, uh, for example, kissing, then that must mean they are also okay with, like, you grabbing their ass or, like, even something as simple as a hug, Mm -hmm. whereas that may not be the case. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, who gets to draw the consent map is different for each demographic and, like, identity. Mm -hmm. So... When I think of the consent culture at, in my town, um, in my childhood, it was the white men drawing the consent maps, usually, um, just men in general. And if a woman was somebody's girlfriend, then there were so many expectations of what that entailed. That like, you know, you could say no, to making out on prom night but like it would be expected of you the following weekend when you go on a date and like stuff like that so it's like you weren't completely stigmatized if you said no to something but if you refuse to like quote unquote give it up eventually Mm -hmm. then like they were like why why am I even with you why am I dating you like that kind of thing
0: Yeah. yeah yeah I've heard a lot of that as well um, I remember my first semester of college, which I did not do at Belmont. I did it at a different university. Um, there was a lot of talk about sexual assault and consent because to be honest, it ran rampant there and a lot of girls did not win their title IX cases and it was really hard to watch. Um, there was a poster of... And this might be really common. Maybe a lot of people have seen this of Snow White. Um, <laughs> Snow White asleep, getting the like, you know, the true love's kiss, and it was, um, it was making the point that sleeping is not consent, um, which the I what? found really interesting. I mean, and it's not,
1: you, but... but when
0: you asked about it, it was she did not directly consent to this kiss. At no point did she consent to this kiss. And it was normalized because he thought it was best for her. Or we don't know what he was thinking because that movie freaking sucks. And he just walks up to her, sees her in the woods and kisses her. That is kind of weird if you think about it. Yeah, (laughs) it really is. (laughs) So if we're looking at media, I mean, we're having these ideas reinforced all the time Mm -hmm. of things that are just expected, things that are just happened. How often in a movie with a sex scene, do you hear them stop and say like, what are you comfortable with? Is this okay for you? Oh God, yeah. um, I am lucky enough to have had a lot of partners who were very communicative in the past. Um, yeah. My current partner, when we first got together, asked me a question that really changed sex for me. Um, are you a no until yes person or a yes until no person? Um, and I was like, wow. I think I'm a no until yes person. Like I would love for you to ask, to not assume that anything is okay until I tell you that it is. She was like, okay, I'm a yes until no person. Like I will let you know if I'm uncomfortable with something because I am in a place where I feel like I can do that. This is a safe place for that. And I thought that was really cool to just establish like, okay, I feel safe enough with you that I will tell you if it's no, um, because I'm giving you my consent right now. Yeah. Um, And it's also okay for you to be a different way and to say like, okay, I'm not okay with anything until you directly ask me. Mm -hmm. Um, That was just a really new approach to consent for me. And really just established that sex is bad without communication anyway. Like, without communication, no one's getting off. But also, without without communication, people are not safe um, or might not feel comfortable
1: and safe yeah so you before we recorded this you brought up with me that you wanted to talk about like the differences between um no means no versus affirmative consent yeah and another essay in this anthology i was reading called yes means yes the the essay is called beyond yes or no by rachel kramer bustle um she says do we really need to sell consent as a concept mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people have been asking this question and I think that like calling consent sexy is an oxymoron Mm -hmm. because if there's no consent, it's not sex. And also like, I don't know if if that level of like communication deficiency is there, then who's really enjoying it? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean... I think there's lots of ways to consent to certain actions during sex. Like, it's not just like, can I touch you here? Can I kiss your lips? Like, it can be like, oh, like, what do you want me to do? Or like, what are you feeling today? Or like, what were you fantasizing about last time? Or like, things like that. And like, there's so many ways to just organize communication Into your regular like sex routine with your partner or whatever your own routine is. Um, And again, like if there's no consent, it's not sex. So, absolutely.
0: It's um, Julia Feldman, who runs the organization, giving the talk, um, talks about how consent is often presented as like another hoop to jump through. Yeah. um, Or another box to check. And I think that you're both absolutely right. It's, it should just be an integrated part of sex because also consent doesn't just exist in a sexual context. Mm -hmm. Consent is in our everyday lives. I was reading this article in the Atlantic by Christine Guillaume about, um, how COVID really introduced us into having these consent conversations on the regular, like Hey, if you come over, I would prefer that you wear a mask or just introducing the idea of talking about what we're comfortable with, talking about what makes us feel safe. Um, and some of that was also like state mandated stuff, but, but even just interpersonal stuff that did happen more and more and it was awkward and it was uncomfortable, but that was exercising consent in our everyday lives, not just in bed. Yeah.
1: Uh, which I thought was really interesting. I honestly think that we need to talk about consent outside of sex more often. Um, One person who really like changed this for me was this creator. They're not just on TikTok. They're on like TikTok, Instagram. They might have a Patreon. I'm not sure. But uh, their TikTok username is K underscore law underscore creates. And she talks about how consent can be something that's really important to think about when discussing people's energies. And it's not not just like, oh, like, what is your aura like today? Like, that's not what they're necessarily talking about. They were talking about it in the context of race, specifically, because they're Black. Um, and from from their perspective and from their community's perspective, they were talking about how Oftentimes, people feel like it's so easy to like trauma dump on black women or to rely on black women for things that we have no business relying on, like a stranger that we barely know, regardless of their race or gender. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, they're talking about it from um, like a racial, um, political, social standpoint. I think this can be applied in more ways as well. Um, As a neurodivergent person, I spend and get energy a little bit differently than a lot of other people. So for me, um, feeling comfortable making or canceling plans with my friends is super important for me because um, like a lot of times it's very unpredictable how how much energy I'll have left at a certain point of the day or at a certain point of the week or whatever. Um, And also like, I feel like this also has to do with like the trauma dumping thing Mm -hmm. that Gen Z has been talking about more and more. Um, I think that concept has kind of been misconstrued to be like, to, to make people feel a little more hesitant to rely on their friends. Like it's not just relying on your friends. It's like, do you have the space to like, listen to me on this phone call vent right now? Um, I had, there was someone in my life for a little while who um, almost every day they would call me on their drive home and um, like vent, I guess is the word to me about almost the exact same thing every day. And like for them, they felt like we were getting closer because I was like sharing in this tough thing they were working through. But for me, it was so confusing because it felt like the only time we were spending together was on this tough thing.
0: Mm. Um, And I assume that they didn't begin that call with, hi, do you have the space to talk about this right now? No,
1: they didn't. No, no. It was very difficult because I did not have the language at that time um, to distinguish between... To let them know that, for me, there was a distinguishment between being there for them and also being a little bit of a doormat, which is what I felt like I was being. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. That was a little difficult. But.
0: It feels like we're more comfortable asking for permission to pet someone's dog than we are for asking for consent to, I don't know, share our life story or... Yeah touch someone's boobs like we're more comfortable being like can I pet your dog then mm-hmm. we are asking for permission in other spaces when it's just as important and oftentimes not oftentimes I don't know I won't speak for everyone but s- sometimes you are going to be met with yeah I do have space for that right now or yeah I do want that please yes or I don't know it's I wonder if people are afraid of consent because they're afraid of getting shut down yeah which is scary, but also hate to break it to you. It's part of life.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like a fear of rejection because a lot of times I think it is men who don't ask for consent. Um, And I think in more masculine spaces, a fear of rejection is very prevalent because it's seen as like not a powerful thing To be rejected. Um, And any threats to a man's power should be avoided, right? Um, So, why not just take what you feel like is yours rather than asking for it because somebody might say no? Mm -hmm. Um, When in reality, nobody has ownership over your body except yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was going with that. No, I'm with
0: you. (laughs) Powerful people, people in positions of power, it's also harder to ask for consent in those positions sometimes too. I was reading something um, that reframed, you know, if an um, upset younger employee is having a moment and the boss comes up and says, can I give you a hug? That's different than would you like a hug? Mm -hmm. Because it's the safety of saying no to someone in a position of power over you is a bit of a different situation. Um, And something that, I think people in positions of authority maybe need to be aware of, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons we have statutory rape laws in this country is Mm -hmm. if you are a minor with more than four age, four years of difference, I don't know, maybe it's different state by state, but the way I know it is with more than four years of an age difference between the older person you're not in a position where you can give consent because the law has deemed that there is a power imbalance there. And that even if you verbally consent, even if you say you want this thing, it's not an even playing field for the Mm -hmm. two of you. It's not, um, it's not fair for this person who has more life experience. I don't, I just really don't want to like belittle younger people that's not what I'm trying to do but someone who's in authority and power over you um, is not going to have as much space for you to say no and have it be okay and safe
1: yeah well I think it's also like like it's not belittling it's not that like the younger person can't like isn't mature or can't make decisions for themselves it's like why does that person in that like age group feel like they need to relate with somebody so much younger. Like what's going on with them that they're not able to be functioning at the level that they need to, that they're only comfortable with people who are at a much younger age. You yeah. know, like that that's the sign of a predator. Yeah. Is that they seek people who are younger than them or people who are of like lesser quote-unquote status or maybe position because they think th- they want somebody to look up to them mm-hmm. because they don't feel like they're able to hang with what they've already got going on and you know? i think
0: they're aware of that power imbalance too they're yeah they're aware that they have the upper hand. they there. seek it out
1: yeah mm-hmm. it, it's on purpose and i think a lot of men who do this do it subconsciously, like seek it out subconsciously through feelings of like chronic feelings of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one reason why like mental health care is so important because what they should not be doing is preying on younger women. What they should have been doing is going to therapy probably for a long time before this issue even came up. So that (laughs) like this issue is being looked at by a freaking professional and not some young girl you're not paying to deal with your problems you know
0: if everyone went to therapy I'm not saying it would fix everything but I am saying we would have better communication skills as a people group
1: I do agree
0: people would just figure out their own shit before they dump it all over everyone else yeah speaking of power imbalances and men taking what they want may I quote our former president in (laughs) saying I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. You can do anything. And I'll let y'all guess who said that. Um, The fact that (laughs) we are okay with the leader of our nation treating people this way and talking about people this way goes to show where we are in terms of rape culture and um consent permeation into our society which is fairly non-existent.
1: I think I think he is the perfect example of like he's almost it's like You're fine. like it's almost too, like he's almost too on the nose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like okay, so he just reminds me of like that archetype in the book of like this product of society that works almost too well it brings about its own destruction and i I think about how rape culture not only grooms women but it grooms men as well because women are obviously groomed to be the perfect prey Mm -hmm. um especially neurodivergent women black women women of color um women who aren't cis um non-binary people who present to men as women, et cetera. Um, men are also groomed to be predators and being a predator is like a really hard image to keep up.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and sometimes like, gotta put your whole Trump pussy into it. <laughs> Trump Like, I feel like that's the only way he, because like, you got to think, like, is that an act? Like, does he turn that on for the TV? Because, like, the quote that you pulled from, that was, like, like, he didn't even know that that was being recorded, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, like. But
0: he was trying to show off for the men that he was exactly, talking
1: to. Exactly. And I'm, like. That has to be exhausting, like trying to – because, like, he wasn't saying that to women. Mm -hmm. He was saying that to men to show that he could get any of their women or any woman that he wants. Absolutely. And therefore, he's better and more powerful than them. Yeah. So not only are you a predator of women, you're a predator of other men. Mm. And, like, that's exhausting.
0: That's a really good way to look at it, Hannah, because we're not here to bash – like, I'm not an apologist of the not-all-men type men – But I am here to say that I do not think that all men are this way. For sure. And I do think that the societal expectation of men to be this macho, like toxic masculinity type guy is the issue here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times men are victims to that mentality and to that sort of brainwashing. Um, I don't think that um, that grooming excuses behaviors, but I do think that it's worth noting. And there are a lot of men, um, doing great work right now to kind of talk about what it means to be a man. And Justin Baldoni comes to mind for me first. He has a book called man enough, um, that I haven't had the chance to read because frankly, I'm not the target audience. Um, but I have read a lot of what he has to say about the role of men in society and sort of changing the way that we look at them. And I think that that's very worth looking into if you're a man out there who's like, I don't want to be associated with the Trumps of the world. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. Um, first of all, you're not alone in that. There are a lot of men fighting the good fight and thank you for doing that. Um, no, frankly, it is the least
1: you can do. I'm not (laughs) saying thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Can say thank you.
0: I'm just saying, like, it's not like you're going above and beyond, but like if you can listen to this and not yeah. take it personally, then it good on you because yeah it, it is up to you to educate yourself and and learn and grow. Um, but that is work that you actively have to do. Um so if you're seeking out resources, I recommend Justin Baldoni. There's another TED Talk, I'll link in the show notes. Um it is common for this to be associated with more masculine mm-hmm. type people. Yeah. I watched a movie recently called Barbarian. If yeah. You, should, you don't think you should watch no. it? No. It's very scary. I'll
1: probably look up the plot and get really enmesh in the plot, but yeah. I'll never watch it.
0: There is a character who is absolutely vile. Um, One of the male characters in the movie who is an actor being accused of rape by his fellow co-star and you hear him he's denying it from the start he's like what what are you talking about no we had consensual sex like what are you talking about and he describes it later to a friend as well she was saying no she took a lot of convincing okay fine it took a while but of course she got it. it like i'm just persistent and I think that truly you're right. And that a lot of this is subconscious behavior. I think maybe, of course, this is a fictional person, but maybe people really believe that they're like, well, she took some convincing, but like, it was still consensual. Like yeah. she gave in, she gave in. Yeah. is not consent. Mm-hmm. My friend.
1: Yeah. No. So yeah, I have some personal experience with that. Um, and I won't get too trauma dumpy here but my personal experience with assault came from like a situation very similar to that mm-hmm. um basically I kept trying to like give hints and be like I'm not feeling this now like not right now like that kind of thing and he thought he could convince me basically and then when I went to report him basically all of his like testimony was like I don't know like eventually she stopped saying no so like
0: that means and she said yes. yeah yeah
1: and so obviously um you know i won my title nine case woo woo so that that's good but um i think even women don't know that that's not consent yeah so it makes so much sense like that that's how guy like guys think i think so there was another essay I'm going to keep referencing so many freaking essays. Okay, here it is. Hooking Up with Healthy Sexuality by Brad Perry. Um, So he talks about this um, story of when he was around like 13 and he knew some older boys who had like convinced this girl to kiss them, or like one of the boys had convinced this girl to kiss him while his parents were out of town. And he was like, I'm gonna help you get with this girl from your school. And so they were like outside one night, they stole some beers from their neighbor and he gave her some and like they were talking, they were like good friends. And then he like eventually put his arm around her and like tried to make a move on her. And he listened when he said, when she said no, and he says that he's very grateful that, like, he took no for an answer because he knew a lot of girls growing up later who had known boys who did not take no for an answer. And, like, that I feel like that's just a perfect example of how boys are taught to, like, engineer these moments that make it okay to make a move on a girl. Mm whether or not like they've asked the girl if that's what they want. Um, You know, like for example, like pulling into a girl's driveway at night and you're playing a love song and like you put your arm on her thigh and like she hasn't leaned in to kiss you or said she wants to kiss you or- Sure. yeah
0: You're setting up a situation and it's something we talk a lot about here is victim blaming. And, you know, why didn't she just say no? And sometimes she literally did say no. Yeah. But, quote, unquote, he was persistent and did not take no for an answer. And sometimes you're in the car with this guy. He has the doors locked. You mm-hmm. are afraid that if you say no, it'll get violent. Right. That is a very real fear. And I, that is no, no part of that is the fault of the victim and I don't even want to say victim, the survivor of that scenario. Um, there's nothing that you are doing wrong or saying wrong. And the fact that you don't want to get hit, you just want to get out of this situation. Right. You're making that decision for yourself. However, it is still assault. Like you were assaulted. Mm -hmm. You did not consent. Um, but people asked FKA twigs, um,
1: Honestly she's
0: she's she's amazing yeah she came forward um and talked about
1: about Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf yeah.
0: and the abusive relationship she was in with him and of course the biggest question asked was why didn't you leave and she was even asked that on a morning show and she said you know what I'm because I think maybe I'm gonna assume good intent like why didn't you leave? Like, why don't you talk about that and tell us like about this situation? And she said, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make the decision to no longer answer that question because it's not the right question to be asking. Yeah, And
1: she's so
0: right because it does not matter why you felt in that moment that you were not safe to leave, but you have that intuition and you did nothing wrong. If you can leave safely, please by all means, dear God, please leave. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just worth saying that yes, a lot of men engineer these moments or engineer these scenarios where it's either impossible to get out no matter what you say. And sometimes you, you play along so that you can escape and that's, you know, extremely tragic. Um, or sometimes you feel, you know, once again, this power imbalance, well, this is my boss. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get fired. Exactly. And I can't afford to get fired. This, I'm on the notorious casting couch. Harvey right. Weinstein. People asking those women, well, why did you sleep with him? I didn't have much of a choice, now did I? You right. know? Um, it's just, and that's that's going to lead us into into rape culture, I think, a little bit more in, in conversation, I think, here. Um, the idea of victim blaming, the... What was she wearing? Did she expressly say no? Um, obviously are not the right questions to be asking, but are so often the questions that get
1: asked. Yeah. I have some very strong opinions on this. Um, because like the level of vi- victim blaming that happens in America, at least is absolutely insane. And I, I, Another essay um, (laughs) that I read last night um, is called Killing Misogyny, A Personal Story of Love, Violence, and Strategies for Survival. Um, So this woman comes from a mixed race background. She's Mexican and white. Um, Talks about as a child watching her mother in an abusive relationship with her father and how she came from a legacy of rape um and she talks about how she despised her mother when she was young because she felt like somehow it was her mother's fault um and she grew up and studied radical feminism became a writer all of these like really impressive things and then ended up in a very similar abusive relationship um because of like her own emotional trauma like she and she talks about how you can you can intellectualize as much as you want, but that's not automatically going to keep you from repeating emotional patterns in your past, in your family's past, in your genetic past, mm-hmm. things like that. Like, it's not just like intellect is not the only thing that can save you.
0: And even in that situation where she is repeating these same emotional patterns. Even in that situation, it's still not her fault that she was in an abusive relationship.
1: And I had a problem with the conclusion of this essay because she talks about how now she's doing so much better because she finally got the courage to leave him. She saved herself. She's actually the radical feminist she said she was being the whole time. And to me, it seemed like she never really got rid of this, like despising of her mother or this despising of like the part of herself that repeated the pattern and like I don't know like she talks about how she became one of the women she despises when she was in that relationship with that man and I was like are we really going to dwell on how much you despise yourself when you didn't make him act that way you didn't make your father act that way you didn't make your mother act that way you didn't make him your partner act that way like
0: maybe it's more about you were looking for a man similar to your father because that was the picture of a relationship that you had exactly up. and still it is that man's fault for abusing mm-hmm. you i just Both found that it... these things can be true it can exactly. be true that you seek out these emotionally toxic situations mm-hmm. and it's also still true that abuse is never the fault of the victim
1: right and I don't know. I mean, we all deal with some level of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. There's no shame in that. We're all trying to work through those kinds of things in our lives. And to me, it seemed like sh- like she herself became a victim, but even blamed herself for being one. Um, and I don't know. It just like broke my heart to read that a little bit because I was like, wow, this the story didn't really have like the ending I was expecting. And she talked about how the reason she left the man was because he was a professor and he slept with like an 18 year old student or something like that. And, um, she was like, that was the push I needed to leave. Um, and like, that's great. Like if that is the reason why you leave, that's amazing. But then all of the focus was on like, whether or not she was doing all of the feminist things that, like, that young girl wasn't.
0: Mm.
1: um, you Like, you can't feminist your way out of being a rape victim. Like, you can't man yourself out of being a rape victim. You can't age yourself out of being a rape victim. Like, none of those things are going to save you. Like, as as awful as that sounds, what's going to save anyone is ethical sex education for all genders absolutely yeah
0: and even consent education can start younger than you think you know one of these um one of these programs that I was reading about I believe that it was giving the talk um the founders talk about how they're teaching consent to kindergartners but they're not talking about sex they're talking about just in general bodily autonomy of Mm -hmm. like it's actually not okay for you to touch me or like Give me a hug if I don't want to. I mean, how many times did you go to a family reunion? I actually can't recall an example of this in my mind, but I've read other people talk about it. And you have to give a hug to Uncle Harry, and you don't you don't even know Uncle Harry, and you don't really want to give a hug to Uncle Harry, but your mom's yeah. there, like, go hug Uncle Harry. Um, I don't have an Uncle Harry. <laughs> Just saying. Um, <laughs> but I I worked at a coffee shop where I was expected to give hugs to these older male customers to be nice Mm -hmm. and there was not a space for me to say no or speak up for myself and I do think that if we started introducing those ideas at a younger age introducing the idea that you have to ask me before you touch me you have to ask me before you know you take my toys or, you know, sharing and things like that. We learn too. If we're integrating consent into being part of that conversation, then it'll start to become second nature. Mm
1: -hmm. I really think so. Mm -hmm.
0: I don't think we can get everyone on board with that through this one little podcast episode, but (laughs) wouldn't that be the dream?
1: It would.
0: Yeah. Dismissal of like the importance of consent is how we perpetuate a society where rape is normalized or Mm -hmm. where, Assault and harassment are normal, normalized. Mm -hmm. Um, because if she didn't expressly say no, then it can't be rape to some people. Yeah. I think we're starting to change on that. Like I talked about earlier, like affirmative consent has started to become more widely accepted, especially on like college campuses kind of changing their definition of what rape is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was 2014 that the first school started changing those rules to be more about, or sorry, I believe that it was in 2014 that the first schools changed their definition of rape to be affirmative consent was not given. This person was not conscious or sober enough to give that consent. Um, But I think we still have a long way to go.
1: I do too. Um, I do like. I've seen. I've seen people say instead of no means no, use enthusiastic and explicit consent. I've heard the term affirmative consent, and I think I prefer affirmative consent because um, I think sometimes the term enthusiastic can be a little bit daunting.
0: Enthusiastic isn't really your brand to
1: begin with. No. <laughs> Um, like I can want to have sex without being like, oh my God, fuck me now. Like I'm I'm begging (laughs) you. Like what, like, I just, what exactly does that even mean to me? Affirmative consent. Like I can, I can want to try new things, even if I don't feel that enthusiastic about them yet, or, you know, maybe I I won't like them.
0: If that means just like saying yes the first time, like no hesitation saying yes versus kind of the situations we've talked about where maybe you said yes, but it was after a lot of saying no, or it was after, yeah. you know, no, oh, I'm not really in the mood. Oh, I'm, uh, you know, a lot of hint dropping. And then ultimately I really don't have any other choice. Yeah. Um, because you know, those people are like, well, she said yes in the end that was not,
1: yeah affirmative
0: consent it was not her initial answer Mm -hmm. or their initial answer because this can happen to anyone regardless of gender um we have talked a good bit in terms of a feminine masculine binary um Mm -hmm. because that is often the way that these concepts are portrayed in our day-to-day lives and like
1: a lot of the studies on this stuff haven't began including different categories for people who are genderqueer or like non-binary however they identify so like the information out there is still very gendered which I think I mean gender as a concept in society is something that's important to understand but I think it's also really important to be inclusive and it's not there yet
0: yeah
1: um yeah
0: yeah and I also think it's worth mentioning that trans people are
1: super high risk,
0: very, very much targeted Yes, in terms of sexual violence. Um, And I think that any statistics we do have on that are probably wrong because Mm -hmm. we don't, I guess, as a society, care enough about keeping trans people safe. Um, No. And that's another way that we need to start Moving forward is being more inclusive in this conversation and also listening to and taking seriously the stories of these of people who are seen as quote unquote other. Mm-hmm. Um, how very uplifting. I do want to end on a semi positive note that the fact that we're sitting here talking about this is a pretty good pretty good thing. The fact that there have been books and resources that we can find is a pretty good thing. And you can find more of them. We're not the only people having this conversation. And if you're feeling discouraged, you are not friggin alone in that. Um, but it just starts with, it starts with conversations. And if that's all we can do today, we did something, you know, for sure. I'm so glad that I got to talk to you.
1: Actually, you know, I could have, I could have stayed home and taken a nap. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Very glad to be here.
0: Well, thank you so much. We have loved having you. Um, We being me and Mr. But listeners at home, I'm so thrilled to have gotten some time with you. Um, Thank you for being here. You belong here. You're so loved. And we will see you next time.